This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. It means we better be on our stuff because he's going to come here to try to embarrass us. That's what it means. And, uh, and so that's our motivation. That's my motivation. And it's about winning, man. All we got to do is find a way to win. And uh, we're going to have to be at our best. And we will be at our best. That would be the quotable head coach of the Detroit Lions, Dan Campbell, talking about the Broncos head coach, Sean He's a good friend. Mm-hmm. A good friend. And uh, Sean Payton, of course, uh, as an assistant coach in Dallas, had a chance to coach player Dan Campbell. And I suppose for a time in New Orleans as well, coached the player. But then Dan Campbell, of course, became a valued Payton assistant with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, and, of course, has gone on now to become the head coach of the Detroit Lions. And as mentioned earlier this week, the very example used by Sean Payton this year after the Broncos started 1-5 and five was to point to Detroit a year ago, a team he says he studied as a commentator for Fox a year ago. Um, and I imagine he had some interest in Dan Campbell's future with the Lions. What did they go, 3-13-1 and one the Right. The previous year, and then to start one and six, uh, his job uh, uh, had to uh, be at least partially in danger. Oh, right? I think and, so. The seat a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I think it was warm. I yeah. do, and and there's some mutual respect there. I suspect that and, Sean Payton's not going out there to embarrass the Lions. Uh, no, no, no. He I, certainly, I, I don't think so. Does I, want to get the win. The Lions yeah. nine and four in the third place spot in the uh, NFC yeah. playoff chase right now, but a little wobbly of late. Yeah, uh, and we'll get into that here in just a second. But uh, what Sean Payton told his team was the Lions were one and six last year. Mm-hmm. Well, we were one and five. They were one and six, and they came within a hair of making the playoffs. And actually, in the final week of the season, week 18, knocked off the Green Bay Packers in what turned out to be Aaron Rodgers' final game as quarterback of the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay, Lambeau Field. They finished that season winning five of their last six, and they actually ended up winning, you know, put eight of the last ten, obviously. So, I mean, they played very, very well. And keep in mind, the two games they lost, one was uh, to Buffalo, but they only lost by three points. And then they had a bad loss to Carolina. You probably do when that happens. But but it is an interesting bit of a corollary there because the overlap is pretty significant. And then the Broncos may end up in the same fate, barely just missed the playoffs by a hair too, but they find themselves in an enviable position because they aren't, they weren't as buried as the lions were because the AFC has a lot of mushy middle in it right now. You think? And as a result, the Broncos <laughs> find themselves at seven and six really in control of their destiny. Were they to win out now? Obviously I get it. You know, we talk about this, and the call and text line is 303-831-1340. The idea is you want to win every game, right? But you don't win every game. That's how it works. But for the Broncos, could they win three of the AFC games and lose this? Yeah, that's a good path. But winning this one would be helpful. It doesn't help you in the tiebreakers, but you need wins. (laughs) You need wins. And I think, and and maybe it's, it's not a significant difference. These are professionals. I get it. But I think a team, when you're looking at the short weeks, there's this idea that if you lost your previous game, the short week, okay, it's a chance you're like, we can flush it. Let's go ahead and get back out there and and, and win our and game. And that's Detroit's right. That's Detroit's theory. Mode of thinking. At the same time, they're one and two in their last three. They just came off a bad loss to the Bears. The Broncos are hot. And yeah. the Broncos might want to look at it and say, Oh, we're we're ready. They're they're a, they're a little wobbly right now. Let's catch them right now. Let's go on Saturday. And it's it's fascinating. Um, Anilo Piro uh, filling in for me 
uh, today with Dr. Rick Perea. You'll hear from Dr. Perea and from Anilo uh, here at uh, right around 530 yeah. or thereabouts uh, here on Mile High Sports. But it, that would be an interesting question to put to uh, Perea on the idea of a team that since week seven has been falling off its form just a little bit. I don't know if yeah. you tend to say they collapsed. No, they're still nine and four. <laughs> they're still in first place, and they're yeah. probably going to finish in yeah. first place in the NFC North. But they have not played nearly as well as they did over uh, weeks uh, one through Six, yeah, I mean, let's go since, seven. since the bye week, right? So uh, the week nine bye week for the Lions. And, and they, they went into that bye uh, with only two losses, and they were to Baltimore in an overtime loss to Seattle. They, they beat the, the Vegas Raiders 26-14 to 14 rather handily, and then they hit the bye. After that, now they've won three out of their five since the bye. But the first one was over a Chargers team that we were fully aware is not very good. They beat the Chargers by three points in a shootout, 41-38. to 38. They were at home against the Bears. They beat them only barely, 31 to 26. They lost at home to the Packers. And they should have lost that 31 26. They probably should have. And they did lose the next week at home to the Packers. Jordan Love and, and the Packers yeah. came back in that game, looked great. But well, that was Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Remember that? And, then, and it wasn't close. The Packers jumped out to a big lead early. Right. And then they end up uh, they end up holding them off. Then they do beat New Orleans in New Orleans, I guess. But New Orleans isn't very good either. And you win 33-28. Yes. And then this last game, you lose to Chicago. And you lose rather clearly, 28-13. to huh. You were beaten soundly. So they have not looked like, especially given their opponents. Look, they haven't played. At, Green Bay is the only team with a winning record in that span. That they've faced, and they were the only team with a winning record at the time they were facing them, right? Green at Bay, the time they were facing, at the time Green, they were Green facing, Bay does not have a winning. Record. Not now, but at the time they were facing them, I think Green Bay was at least at five hundred. Yeah, have to go look, might've. but either way, they haven't exactly faced Murderers Row. Oh no, since no. the bye week. Oh no, no, they've, and they've had two games two. in Chicago, yeah. and they were lucky to get a split out of those two games. So, so they, they have been, as you put it, off their form. Yes, uh, and uh, let's take a look at Jared Goff, who is mm-hmm. a pretty good indicator as to how the Lions are performing in general. Eight turnovers in the last four games for Jared Goff. Yikes. In the first six games, three turnovers. What a change, right? Yeah, that is. First six games, three turnovers. Last four games, eight turnovers. Since week seven, EPA per dropback for Jared Goff, minus 0.03. That's 20th in the NFL with 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions during that stretch. First six weeks, 11 touchdowns and only three interceptions by a fall off right they have the second highest paid offensive line in the national football league the detroit lions do and with good reason it's a pretty good offensive they've been line. using them to draft them high. jonah sure. jackson's been banged up frank uh, Ragnow, the center has a knee injury uh taylor decker and uh, penny sewell the mm-hmm. two tackles uh, both the fine tackles really uh, their performances have been kind of questionable lately and maybe an injury or maybe a couple of nicks and bumps have something to do with that. In any case, second past highest paid offensive line in the NFL. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, they have had a turnover-worthy play rate of 5.9% under pressure. Mm-hmm in this latest stretch. 
tied for eighth highest. Four touchdowns, eight interceptions when facing pressure. The rating has been 58.8 under pressure. That's the second most in uh, the NFL. And uh, second most interceptions when facing pressure. Uh, Eight interceptions since week seven. And they're uh, 27th out of 39, uh, Goff is anyway, among qualifying quarterbacks, 27th out of 39 with that rating of 58.8 under pressure since week seven. We know from his time in Los Angeles that Jared Goff, listen, most every quarterback isn't as good under pressure, but Jared Goff is really affected by it. And he's not mobile. And and will give you the contrast. When kept clean, uh, turnover-worthy plays, uh, the turnover-worthy throw rate is at 0.9% when he's kept clean. That's second best. 111.3 passer rating, that's third best. 17 touchdowns to two interceptions. First six games, the offensive line allowed pressure at a rate of 32.6%. That was eighth best Mm -hmm. first six games. Since the offensive line has allowed pressure 37.6% of the time. And that's 21st. That's 63 quarterback pressures in the last four games. 63. And and 10 of those have turned into sacks in the last four games. Yes. So they've gone from being a top 10 team when allowing pressure very infrequently over the first six games to almost a bottom 10 team. Not quite, but almost a bottom 10 team since week seven. That's an astonishing changeover. The only transformation that I know of, especially over the last six weeks or so, that's been nearly as dramatic goes in the other direction, and it's the Broncos' defense and their ability to pressure. Right. I mean, it right? really does exactly feel like... Exactly what Detroit has had trouble, had trouble with. with. And he, now Denver it's has been ascending in terms of sacks, pressure rate. This looks like, as you suggested, catching a team that may be better than you are at the right time maybe not when right you're now. ascending mm-hmm. and they're descending. It looks that way. But I think we both can remember examples of the Broncos going on the road into a situation where they seem to have everything going for them and the opposing team has been in a slump. This is not Houston, mm-hmm. right? This is a team that's, however, gradually has been descending, but in certain areas they've been almost crash landing over the last several weeks. This is the the opposite of Houston and maybe a little like Buffalo, a little like Buffalo where they're a little shaky and the crowd has been getting on them during some of these home fiascos. Of late, especially on Thanksgiving yeah, Day, they really did. The, hey, this was—they're not afraid to. The Boo Birds are not was the, intimidated out there uh, in Detroit. To, yes, that's we'll putting it mildly. Yeah, we'll jump right and, out on you. And, and and you go back to the 1960s, very early 1960s, to find a team at this time of year playing out of Detroit that is doing as well as this team, but the fans very much aware of 60 previous years of largely unsuccessful history 
are ready to turn on him pretty quickly. And it's not their fault, but it is a function of 60 years of history of failure, largely failure from the Detroit Lions who have had some good players during that stretch, most especially one Barry Sanders, who did get them to a championship game once upon a time. But it was in a very weak NFC, and they got absolutely destroyed by Washington in that championship game they they did reach. So uh, this isn't a bad environment for the Broncos, who have not lost in Detroit since 2007. And I remember that game well. It was 44-6, to and Jay Cutler got the tar kicked out of him, and it was thought that he'd be out for weeks. Say what you will about Jay Cutler. He's a tough guy, even though that toughness was sometimes questioned during his years in Chicago. He came back and started the following week in, in a situation where most guys would have been out for a month. The decay for golf has been real, especially in the last month. If you go back to those pro football focus numbers, yeah. uh, basically up until the last four games, he had one game in which he was a 58.6, and they grade from zero to 100. Otherwise, the lowest performance he'd had was a 72.9, which is pretty darn good. Since that, in those last four games, however, here's been his pure offensive rating. Just, you know, not the passer, but the yeah. whole complete offense yeah. as a whole. Right. 47.6, 52.7, 77.7, which would have been one of his worst games in the first eight of the season. Right. And 44.8, the worst of the season thus far last week. In that span of time, he's got seven touchdowns to five picks. And you talk about mobility. This is a guy that, you know, we know he doesn't run. Unplanned, what we'll call it a scramble, right? Yeah. Unplanned run by a quarterback. He's only had seven all year. Right. But four of them have come in the last four games. Yeah. So that indicates that the, the, the pressure is real to the point where a guy that really does not like to move golf is now feeling like he needs to move more often than usual. He's not playing. Some of it's him. Some of it's the line. Some of, there's a lot of reasons. that the Football is a game that is complementary. It is driven by teams. And the way they play together, not necessarily one individual. But right now, the way the Lions are playing, which includes Goff, is leading to the issues that eventually got him traded out of L.A. with the Rams in the first place when he was the number one overall pick and looked very much every bit like the part for quite some time until teams realized if you can get after him, he makes mistakes. Now teams have been able to get after him. The Lions have been able to kind of protect over the course of the year well enough to get that that sort of problem from rearing his head. But in the last month, it's been back. And the Broncos now, under Vance Joseph, and the way that they are, the way Joseph's calling that defense, where it is more or less play a base and just send pressure. From different places. From, from you're, you're different angles. the same guys. And you're not giving away those blitzes. coming from different guys. One time it's Singleton. One time it's going to be Browning. One time it's going to be uh, Quan McMillan. You'll get that heat from all over the place. That's actually exactly over the course of his career what trips Jared Goff up because he's not mobile. And if he can't read necessarily read where the pressure's coming from, it causes more of a problem for him than it well, does mobile quarterbacks. And, and this team in the streak now is six and one, Sandy. Uh, take away, take away a whatever, Dorian Thompson Robinson, mobile, Josh Dobbs mobile. But they've beaten Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes. Those guys are, besides, I say, I guess your Jalen Hurts and your Lamar Jackson, those guys are the apex predators of the quarterback world, and they can move, and the Broncos have taken all of them out. They've taken all of them out. Um, Herbert's case, literally. W- w- was sick, uh, but with Herbert, uh, 
you know, he got hurt during the game, but if they're not pressuring him, I don't think he gets hurt. He's no. not smashing his finger against anything. He got sacked a whole much bunch less of times. an upcoming uh, or an oncoming, uh, upcoming and oncoming yeah. uh, pass rush. Four so sacks that, and 21 dropbacks will do for you. That's exactly right. And your chances of getting injured on any one of those dropbacks is so much greater. And and now you have, the, this is the time of year where you have banged up offensive lines all over the league. The Bronco offensive line, though, pretty healthy. Yeah, I, Quinn Miners, of course, we knew about uh, being looked at for the elevated heart rate, but everything seems to be uh, fine there for Miners. You know, it ended up being something where they they, they sent him home and it, everything apparently looks uh, more or less all right. So good news there on that front for the Broncos. Yeah, it just seems to be a... It doesn't give you anything. Let's be clear on that. That this the Broncos don't have some inherent advantage, but they are playing well when the other team is playing poorly. And the point you bring up, Sandy, is valid. And it's one of the things that I guess I look at with the Denver Nuggets. And the Nuggets were able to capture their first NBA championship last year. But they did have to do it against the weight of history because everyone around the league and around the basketball world knows, well, the Nuggets just, they don't, they don't have this kind of success. They don't. And it takes someone to break through. Uh, the Lions haven't had legitimate, sustained success since Bobby Lane was the quarterback <laughs> in the 50s. I mean, that's the reality. And, and pa- half of your fans in living memory have no idea of a Detroit Lions team that's been relevant, with the exception of the Barry Sanders blip, and that was more entertaining than it was necessarily a threat to be a yeah, title contender. Remember, remember the old phrase of Barry Sanders' greatest runs came as two-yard losses because any other back would have lost 10 to 12 yeah, yards. Yeah, and fumbled. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, and I look at that from my personal perspective. Growing up here, born and raised in Colorado, I, I even in my line of work, I've been doing this for a long time. I've covered the NBA since the 90s, covered the Nuggets since the 90s. It was hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that the Denver Nuggets could actually win a title because my entire life, it just doesn't work that way. And the Lions are facing that kind of same pressure. It just doesn't work that way. And fans are waiting for the other shoe to drop. And unfortunately for the Lions, in the last month, when they have started giving signs that maybe that was the case, you have people who don't like buying into hope, only waiting for it to get smashed. They're like, "Ah, maybe I'm going to keep one hand on that parachute ripcord right now. And they're close. They're two games ahead of the Minnesota Vikings in the division. But to Detroit Lions fans... Two games ahead. That doesn't feel safe. Doesn't feel safe mm-hmm. at all. It doesn't. And that's the reality. So the Broncos find themselves in a good position there. We'll talk more about this, of course, as uh, the show goes along. But want to talk about those Denver Nuggets, by the way. Uh, no Jamal Murray last night. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope got hurt after a collision with uh, Nikola Vucevic. He stayed out for the second half. Um, Nikola Jokic got himself ejected. You would think losing three of your starters might be a problem on a road game on the second night of a back-to-back. But then again, this is the NBA champs. We'll talk about the Nuggets and, and their resiliency. And this is the Chicago Bulls. And the Bulls. Yeah. And uh, a little entertaining drama as well. Unfortunate timing for Jokic to get ejected. I'll tell you about it next The Molly Sports.
Sandy Clough and Chantro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Nicola, can you explain what happened there to get ejected? I don't know. Uh, it is what it is. I'm just happy that we didn't play in Serbia this game. It's going to be really fun to see how it ended. You know, so it was interesting, you know. It is what it is. Some guys can say whatever. I think sometimes what I said is not even a technical, so it is what it is. That was Nikola Jukic, of course, talking after the game to Altitudes of Vic Lombardi about his ejection from the game last night in the, the, the Nuggets uh, win. The the uh, argument, at least from the, the NBA, is that the language did cross the line. Jokic said it wouldn't be a technical, uh, but we also didn't hear it. Jokic did acknowledge that that language, and that was his line, crossed a line, but was a little surprised it, got, it was led to uh, an ejection, but that's the way uh, it is. Now, the interesting part of it, we, Danny Bailey has, in the booth has some great sound for it. Uh, last night in Chicago was Serbian Heritage Night. <laughs> Where Nikola Jokic, of course, and then you heard him mention playing in Serbia. Right. Uh, Chicago has the largest percentage of Serbian, pop, uh, you know, Serbian descendants and population in any large state or uh, city in the United States. So it's it's the biggest Serbian population. And Jokic himself pointed out, I uh, said, the second biggest Serbian population here, Belgrade, and Serbia is the first, and Chicago is the second. And pointed out, so maybe they come to, came to see me. They probably did to an extent, right? I mean, even even Bulls fans, the two-time MVP and defending champ well, comes in. You uh, want you want to see him, right? He's in one time, right? He's in one time all year. You get the champs and, and you get the two-time MVP. You want to go out and say, "Hi, I saw that guy play in person." And uh, you get the idea. This remember, this game was played in Chicago. This is the response captured on NBC Sports in Chicago when Jokic was ejected. I saw the official kind of point as if he was ejecting Jokic from the game. That can't be right, can it? Did he get ejected from the game? Wow. This happened against the Pistons a few weeks back as well for Come Denver. On. Now listen. Oh, that, listen, that's that terrible. Seems, that's, that's, that doesn't that's seem fair at all. That that's excessive. excessive. That's excessive. Yeah, I, I give, the guy, give the guy a tech. You, you should have got a tech shot there because he should have got fouled. But to eject the guy, come on now. That, I, I the mean, people didn't come to see the officials. Let's just be honest. They came to see the players. He's one of the players that people came to see. Give him a tech. He, he earns that. He's a two-time MVP. He earned the right to be able to communicate. I mean, that that's coming from the Bulls broadcast. And uh, you heard the crowd noise. You know, you, you heard them talking about it, that uh, – it, it happens, and it's not a big deal, and it's really not a big deal because uh, the Nuggets have seen Jokic get ejected as they pointed out against the Pistons back on November 20th. Both times the Nuggets won. So, mm-hmm. Remember the oh, Marv well. Levy NFL Films clip? Oh, yeah. Where he's standing on the sideline before a game, and he's pointing out to someone, hey, that official, I went to high school with him. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then, during the course of the game, calling exactly the same guy a quote-unquote over-officious jerk. Well... That's what the Nuggets were dealing with, Jokic in particular, last night, an over-officious jerk. Now, maybe the language did cross the line. Probably did. Jokic said I mean, Jokic said it did, so good enough for me. But you say, I'm teeing you up. 
And I've heard enough. Yeah, keep your mouth closed. One more and I'll toss you. Yep. I've heard enough. Get in the tee. I've heard enough. And I think most players would get the message. Um, That's exactly what the late great Earl Strom would have done. Earl Strom was thought of as a tough guy official, and he was, but he was one of those officials, kind of old school philosophy. If players were getting into it with him or with one another, he would intervene. He'd basically say, it's enough. Both of you. And 99% of the time they'd listen and cut it out. He wouldn't go throwing his weight around, proverbially speaking, by teeing them both up. He just tell me. He might tell him this on a free throw line. Right. He said enough. I said enough, and I mean it. It's not. It's not the ejection. It's would, the immediate double. It's the them. immediate double tech. You know, well, you, you, you it, tee him up. You explain why you tee him up, and you said do it again, and, and I'll throw you. And if he keeps talking, throw him. But Murray the double got tech one of those the other night in the Houston game, I mm-hmm. believe. The difference was, the game was decided, and there were only about twenty seconds left. Right. And you you, you could have heard if you watched a clip. Uh, our friend Chris Marlowe say he wouldn't let it go. Talking about, yeah, you just want to let it go. And and, and so he they, got tossed. Get, the decision was made in the last twenty seconds of the game, and the, the game was over. You don't toss Jokic. What was it? Four minutes into the second quarter yeah. on something like that. And you give, go TT and give credit. By the really? way, you know you heard that broadcast. That was Adam Amin and Stacey King on that broadcast, yeah. and I want to single them out because uh, sometimes it can be hard in, in a in a broadcast world where more more often than not, I think now, Sandy, I think you would probably agree that the home broadcast team uh, are are what we, we used to call homers. Right. In many cases, including, quite frankly, the the teams that play at Ball Arena, the broadcast partner is the team. It's the same company. Uh, Sure. Same company. You know, that the the altitude television is Rocky Sports. They own the Nuggets. They own the Avs. So it is very common to have sort of homers on the broadcast. I I, mean, and King in that are terrific because not only are they pointing out that it probably shouldn't from the basketball side. There was no reason for the immediate double tech, but also correctly pointing out, I'm not suggesting at any point that you adjudicate a game based on who the ticket buyers no, want no, to see. No, you I'm don't not give them special treatment. Right, you don't give them special treatment. But you treatment. also aren't especially harsh but on them in a way you'd never be on Right, what, what your actual job is here. And you had a, a fan, but the Bulls, not only was it like Serbian Heritage Night, they had a special ticket packet <laughs> and everything that they sold. They were, I mean, this was a big deal for the Bulls. And and even the Bulls announced, like, are you kidding me? I mean, that this well, is the guy they paid to it, see. It could and you be threw argued. him out over him just talking. He didn't, he didn't John Bones Jones spinning back fist somebody like Draymond Green. It, uh, like, just warn it, him it, and it, give it, him a tech. It, it, it was. And he does uh, it again throwing. Admittedly, but, an interesting really. evening because the president we're of the Chicago Bulls, Stacey. the president of the Chicago Bulls, was the one here in Denver primarily responsible for the drafting of Arturis Karnasovas? Yeah. Yes, correct. So, somewhat ironic a, that this uh, would happen to Lithuanian him in Chicago legend. Because there is not a bigger Jokic fan than Arturis. No. Not one. No. On the face of the earth, there is not a bigger Jokic fan than Arturis. 
And you know what? Usovich played him pretty well last night while he was in the game, right? Usovich was doing fine and did even better after Jokic left, as you'd expect. But that's the other thing about it. It was actually a pretty good matchup, at least between those two. The, the, the team competition was a mismatch. Right. But it, and the Nuggets were never in danger of losing that basketball no, game last night with or without Jokic. And remember, Murray didn't uh, even start. Murray, and KCP and got in a collision KCP and got, got hurt. hurt and he only played a handful games. of minutes. Played 13, what, 13 games. Minutes. Jokic played 16 13 minutes. minutes. 13 minutes. And, and Murray didn't play at all. Three or five starters. Right. <laughs> but uh, Jordan was excellent over 25 minutes. Boy, DeAndre and, Jordan has looked good when he's played, uh, hasn't he? Brown, Strother, Watson, Holiday, all played 23 minutes. Strother exactly. Again. A very well-managed game, by the nights, way, for Mike Malone. 16 points follow, uh, in the game following 22 points the night before career high, uh, plus 12 on the night, and doing a little bit more, as Nikola Jokic said uh, a couple weeks ago, besides scoring six boards and, and three assists and a steal in his time. And he had five steals the night before. So, Strother, uh, this is why Calvin Booth selected some of the guys he has in the last couple years. Because... He knows the level of coaching that they've had. He knows the level of competition that they've had in college. And whether it's Christian Brown, whether it's Julian Strouther, whether it's even Peyton Watson, they may never be all-stars, ever. But you do know that they know how to play basketball, and they know how to play team basketball, and they've played it at a high level. And what Booth did in drafting these guys is understand, I have a floor that I feel pretty confident they will hit. And what that is is a competency that we can get them off the bench as the season goes along, start getting a rhythm with that. Because you know what? We don't need to draft all-stars. We're the champs. Well, We need to draft players who can complement what we do, and we need them to be able to chip in now, not three years from now, now. And seeing Strother perform like that is very promising. Yeah, and it, it, it could have been Tyson, and it could have been uh, it could have been Pickett, Pickett, but it turns out to be Strother. And that's great. And I, I think his idea is that one of these guys, out of the three, one of these guys has a chance to help us right now, right now as With in substantial at some bench point minutes. during the season. Mm -hmm. Not not right away, but right now this as season. in this season. It could be helpful. I think they're pleasantly surprised that it's come so early. Now, he's had some ups and downs already. Mm -hmm. He will continue to have some ups sure, and downs. He's a rookie. But last night when you needed the minutes out of five guys because three of your starters were either ejected or hurt or ejected. injured during the game or unable to play on the back end of a back-to-back -back because of previous injuries and the Nuggets are being careful. That's Jamal Murray. But you get a 25-point game out of Reggie Jackson. Again. A, a plus 11 uh, over – 32 minutes. And five it for is, eight from wow, behind efficiency. the arc. And he didn't kill any of the starters. I did. Gordon, 32 minutes. Porter, 32 minutes. Uh, 32 minutes for Reggie Jackson. And the other two starters, uh, of course, were ejected and uh, injured, respectively, during the game. And then, as I said, 25 minutes for Jordan. And Brown, Strather, Watson, and uh, Holiday all played 23. Uh, an extraordinarily well-managed game by Michael Malone. And... By the Nuggets in in general, and I thought every it was one of those accordion games. The Bulls shot forty three points. Now they only made thirteen, 
but they're they're shooting three pointers all the time. So they hit a few, and the Nuggets double digit lead shrinks a little bit, and then the Nuggets get two or three stops in a row, and they build the lead back up, and the Bulls will hit another three pointer or two, and they'll they'll close the gap. But by the end of the game, the Bulls are missing just about every three pointer uh, taken, and for the night they shot under forty two percent. And only the fact that they were 21 to 23 at the foul line kept the game as close as it was. And even without Jokic, who had nine rebounds in 16 minutes, the Nuggets out-rebounded the Bulls 46 to 41 and had, more importantly, a 15 to 11 edge on the offensive boards. Um, the Nuggets continue to be a puzzlingly, a puzzlingly ineffective three-pro Shooting team yeah, last still. night, the free throws 22 for 32 to Chicago's 21 to 23 in a closer game uh, that might have mattered, but they more than made up for it by shooting 47% from both the field overall and from the three point line at 14 for 30. Michael Malone was asked after the game because of course, Nicole Jokic has had some frustration in recent weeks and it boiled over again last yeah. night. Here's what Malone said after the game, because at times this has happened to Jokic at times over the course of his career. Malone said, maybe I have to do a better job because if he's getting fouled or he thinks he's getting fouled, let me take the tech. That's my job as a head coach because I don't want him being put in that position where he's getting thrown out because it's not good for him. And more importantly, it's not good for the team. We can talk all along about how great our bench was tonight, but in the big picture, we need Nicola available. He knows that. And we have to work on how we engage and how we communicate with the referees and handle that frustration. Pitch, perfect. You're not ripping your player, but you are gently reminding him, hey, let me talk to the refs. Right. You focus on playing the game. And it's not as if you have to tell Nikola Jokic very much. He's the best basketball player on earth. But again, the, the difference between the Michael Malone of two to three seasons ago and the Michael Malone today is so stark he is barely the same coach. Back in the day. And we're, holy, ta- we're talking about holy positive in the improvement. We were talking about Earl Strom earlier. Back in the day. Um when teams really didn't have deep benches, you know, it, 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 this is, you know, the early, mid-1960s, mm-hmm. uh, e- even the best teams, uh, you know, they played their starters 40 minutes or more. Uh, they, they would play, Jerry West used to talk about this and probably still does, during his playing days, you know, you, you'd be scheduled for five games and six nights. People talk about three games and four nights now. Right. Like it's torture. It used to be five games and six nights. In any case, to preserve the players and even the head coach who didn't have an army of assistant coaches, right? For a long time, coaches didn't have any assistants. Then they had one, maybe. Sometimes reluctantly had one. You know what would happen? They'd have the trainers get on the refs. Yeah. Because the refs probably weren't going to tee up a trainer. And if they do, and most famously, the team of my youth, the New York Knickerbockers, had a trainer named Danny Whalen. And Red Holtzman, the head coach, could get after officials. But when he really needed to get their attention, he'd have Danny Whalen whale on the officials, curse him out, up and down. And these are guys like Mendy Rudolph who wouldn't take guff, but they weren't. They, Holtzman knew. Official would look small and stupid. If you tossed a trainer. For right. tossing a trainer or teeing up a trainer. Right. Really? You're such a sensitive flower that you have to tee up now, a trainer? But look, Michael Malone doesn't care if he takes a tech or not. 
doesn't care. And as long as he doesn't get two, which right. he did against Detroit well, along with you. And, it, and it's and it's happened, and we've also seen when Michael Malone's been missing for various reasons, he's got a pretty competent assistant coaching staff to step He's got in. a great Yeah, the more accurate, staff. he's great. It's great. great staff. So in other words, yeah, Malone's right. It's like, look, I let, steer that to me. <laughs> we'll see if we get that. The Nuggets, of course, uh, now looking kind of like themselves again. They will be back at home against the Brooklyn Nets who come to town on Thursday. Going back at it tonight, the Colorado Avalanche. Did they get their mojo back with their massive comeback? We'll talk a little bit more about that next on My Life Sports. You need cooling, baby, I'm not fooling. I'm going to sit here back to school. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Yeah, I think uh, Rachel, the, the biggest part would just be playing here at ball. Um, home away from home for me. Uh, so I had a lot of good years uh, in Colorado and, um, you know, it's uh, it's going to be different, but I'm looking forward to playing against those guys and, um, you know, as much as it's going to be made about my return, I also want to, you know, say thanks to all the fans and all the employees and just everybody that always made me feel so welcome over the years. So um, it's also a chance for me to say thanks for everything everyone's done for me over the years. So um, cool from my standpoint as well. That was one Eric Johnson. A uh, little uh, scrim there I've recorded from our friend here, Eric Dean, the lead hockey writer here for My Life Sports. And, uh, Arif, uh, you, hear, you hear him on here pretty regularly. Eric Jones, and now with the Sabres, and uh, the longtime Avalanche now coming back to play uh, tonight in the uh, national game, TNT, 8 p.m. start for the game uh, this evening. And uh, I presume will be uh, welcomed with a you know terrific round of applause because not only did Eric Johnson, was he part of the Stanley Cup team, but to his credit, uh, even though because of injuries, his career was never quite what anyone expected as the top overall pick, he was with the Avs through a pretty tough stretch, and he was one of the consistent guys for that entire span of time. And when you look at the the, the players who I think with the Avs who really earned that ring, of course you think of McKinnon, and you think of Landis Gog, but Eric Johnson was up there because he had put in the work over the years with this franchise to get it from where it was to where it, to where it got to. I agree, and I've always considered Eric Johnson to be one of the 10 most accommodating, I, I was thinking, friendly did, did he ever turn down an interview athletes that, I can... that I've been around? He, he'd come on shows all the time like this one. After, after a skate, all talk to you. Uh, yeah. All the time. All the time. And you could talk to him off to the side. When, mm-hmm. Back in a time when that was still possible, it isn't as easy to do today, but he was always accommodating. And I always remember seeing him uh, at, Pierre Lacroix's service mm-hmm. here in Denver, a service of commemoration of the life of Pierre Lacroix. It happened during the COVID period. Right. And uh, I always remember Eric Johnson being there mm-hmm. and, and sitting right behind uh, uh, the row I was in and uh, a few of Terry Fry and his wife, Ad- uh, Adrian Dater, our old friend mm-hmm. was, was there and uh, we all uh, spoke and he spoke to us and I, he, he was just terrific. And, uh, you know, he came here, I think, at just about the time that Pierre was stepping away. 
from day to day. Yeah, executive traded duties. during the 2010-11 season. Well, it was a little mid- after that yeah. then. Yeah, it was a little after Pierre had stepped away, but there he was uh, at a, a commemoration service uh, for uh, the late, great Pierre Lacroix, and he, he hadn't played that year. And all of us are thinking, you know, he's, he's probably played his last game in an avalanche sweater. Little could we have imagined mm-hmm. at the time that a couple of years later, he'd be a Stanley Cup champion here in Denver. Yeah. Uh, and and it, I, I've had, you know, Kadri's a good guy, and he came back and was properly honored by uh, uh, the fans and by the organization. Uh, and I know they'll do uh, everything they can for Eric Johnson. I mean, think of that tonight and, and, and paying tribute to his years of service yeah. here. Uh, Eric Johnson, unlike Kadri, the Avalanche are pretty good when Kadri got here. Eric Johnson went through the leanest of the lean years. Yes. And also the frustratingly good years that ended in playoff failure. And he went through all of it and came out as a Stanley Cup champion at the end. And I, I couldn't feel better for an athlete than I felt at the time and still feel today 13 for 13 seasons with the Avalanche for Eric Johnson. It's easy, Number one it's, overall draft pick. Yeah, it's easy to forget when you look at Avalanche history, and I will take the Quebec history out of it, uh, but if you look at Avalanche history, of course, we know that Joe Sack has played the most games ever, 1,378 in average sweater. Uh, Milan Hayduk, the man who succeeded Sackick as captain, played 1,020. Adam Foote, 967. Gabriel Landeskog is fourth at 738. Nathan McKinnon will pass him. As a matter of fact, he will tie Landeskog tonight, playing his 738th game in an Avs sweater and pass him in the next game. So McKinnon will move to the fourth most games in the history of the Avs. Eric Johnson is behind them at 717. Only five players ever, Sackick, Hayduk, Foote, McKinnon, and Landeskog. Those are the only five players who have played more games in an Avalanche sweater than Eric Johnson. And they were all great players. Uh, Eric Johnson uh, was never a great player. But you don't play that long in the league. he was a great hockey citizen. Yeah. And you don't last that long unless you have value. To absorb all that losing and still be a major factor when your team wins the Stanley Cup. And, you know, if he hadn't been making as much money as he was making which he deserved to make, by mm-hmm. the way, uh, they, they would have brought him back. But he was one of the – everybody talks about Kadri leaving. They lost Eric Johnson for the same reason they lost Kadri, that they couldn't afford him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Had nothing to do with the state of his game, and I'm thrilled that he's doing well in Buffalo. I wish the Sabres as a team were doing a little better. Uh, but, you know, it's like they're, they're in that uh, Atlantic division – and it's like every other division, the Metro, the, the Central, the Pacific, it's like every other division where everybody is tightly squeezed, uh, especially in the middle of every division in hockey. And Buffalo is second from the bottom in that Atlantic division, but they're, they're only seven points behind Detroit, and Detroit right now would be a playoff team uh, in in the East. Uh, I think Washington would be the fourth team that would make it apart from the automatic three in the uh, in the Metro. But 
they're not far off. If they strung together four or five wins in a row, uh, they'd be right back in it. And the Avalanche certainly remember being shellacked in Buffalo. Yeah. Earlier this, this season, season by Eric Johnson and the Sabres. Johnson, by the way, fifth all-time in Avalanche scoring among defensemen as well. So a tremendous career. Keep in mind, uh, probably not a, a big scoring threat tonight, but Tage Thompson sure is. Uh, seven goals and eight assists. Uh, he's obviously been effective. They're a good and, young team. And, and we know about Ocpozo, unfortunately, yeah. a little bit of the where the, the, the hit that obviously had a little bit of drama involved in it, although we both firmly that it was not dirty. It's a, it was a, and Ocpozo is not that kind of guy, but uh, he's got eight points over the last 10 games. They do have enough scoring punch to be dangerous as the abs should well know after getting blanked by them. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I want to make, what, what about that? Okay. But then, but, then, but what does that mean for the goaltender situation too? After Georgiev seemed to That's get rattled, Prosvitov came in, went 11 for 11 on shots, including some very clutch ones late in the game. I don't think they win the game. Quite frankly, even with oh, the great offensive not. push, if Bednar does not make the switch from Georgiev to Prosvitov, to my mind, I'm throwing Prosvitov back in there tonight as a reward. Good. I would. Yeah, do it. I, I don't see any reason not to. Uh, and didn't Georgiev play in Buffalo? So, uh, He's the guy it, that lost it, in Buffalo, pro, yeah. Pros, they didn't score any goals. They didn't score any goals. So Hard to win when they, the yeah. For him, but uh, I'd like to see Prosvitov play. I agree with you. And um, Don Granado is the Buffalo coach, right. correct? And uh, brother Tony yes. had to recently step away. I want to make mention of that. That's, I'm glad from you're the doing NHL that. Network uh, for uh, treatment uh, uh, for non-Hodgkin's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. lymphoma. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, I like Tony a lot. Uh, when Tony became the coach here, uh, replaced uh, another guy I liked a lot, Bob Hartley. Right. Uh, I, I immediately took a liking to Tony. And Tony, Tony's just a great individual. And I, I don't care what the evaluation of Tony Granato is as a coach. He's a great person. He's also a heck of a player. Too. And he's a tremendous player. Tremendous player. And he did one thing here uh, that at least in 0203, I'm not sure Bob Hartley would have been able to do. He convinced Peter Forsberg to center a line again. And he put him with Hayduke and Tange, who had been with Sackick the year before during the Stanley Cup run. And they were the hottest line in the league the second half of the year. And for the entire season, I think they uh, graded out as the best line. I mean, keep in mind, in, the in NHL, those two years, so, 2002-2003, he, was, he, he, was, he did some good the work. The Avs went 32-11 and, and 4. They finished first in the division. The next year, they went 40-22-13 and 13 and finished second in the division. And then uh, replaced and then came back for the one season right. in 08, 09, and that was not a great season, but obviously not put in a great spot when you're being brought in in that situation. Regardless, you're talking about a guy whose no. career winning percentage was 560. Yep. As a coach. And he's a good coach. And, and Nothing wrong with that. He, he coached Including, in uh, college playoff at, games. at the University of Wisconsin mm-hmm. and um, had some success there. Um, but I, I was... Saddened to hear the news, Me but too. happy that he's with his family during the holidays. Yes, and hopefully uh, the treatment goes well. And, and I know and his family pretty well because they live just down the street from uh, where I live and uh, uh, spent some time over there. So uh, uh, wish wish him all the best. And uh, uh, I have a good feeling about Buffalo uh, with uh, Don Granato as the coach. I think uh, uh, there, there are a few teams in that division. I think Montreal has improved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tampa may be receding a bit. Uh, Detroit's improved. Uh, Toronto 
for a team with six regulation losses is in third place. That's Buffalo's, uh, Buffalo's issue, in all honesty, is defense. They have a difficult time preventing yeah. goals. The Avalanche, yeah, notwithstanding, sure. apparently, in the last yeah. game. But, uh, you know, when you look at the plus-minuses across the board for that team, it's not good. It, there's a problem. But uh, they, they do have some skilled offensive players. You know, uh, we talked about Thompson. Uh, Jeff Skinner's been a thorn yeah. in the side. Uh, Tyson Jost. Uh, make an yes. appearance here and there. Uh, who, uh, who hurt the Avalanche? In the their last leading game. scorer is Rasmus Dalin, the explosive defenseman who puts points on the board, and of course a former uh, DU pioneer, Dylan Cousins, uh, making a difference out there too. Thirteen points on the season. So uh, a, a team the Avalanche at home you feel should beat, but a team yep. that has already beaten the Avalanche and has enough skating ability to give the Avs trouble. So we'll find out more evidence. We're talking about coaches that. Uh, even Stanley Cup championship coaches have a relatively short shelf life. Craig Berube, at age 57, fired by the St. Louis Blues overnight. The Blues had lost four straight and six of eight. He's in his sixth year, won the Cup uh, in 2019 after taking over as coach during the season. Mm-hmm. The Blues, at around this time, maybe a little bit later on into the 19 portion of that season, were in last place, not just in their division, overall in the league. And they got better. <laughs> uh, yes, they, they certainly <laughs> and did. And went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. And, uh, you know, maybe it was too much success too early. Uh, certainly in recent years, uh, even when they made the playoffs, as the Avalanche can attest, uh, the Blues weren't really much of a factor once the playoffs began. But uh, as a guy with a 597 winning percentage. And a cup. And a cup, to his credit. And that's... That's pretty good work, the job he did in St. Louis. He's not my favorite coach, but uh, he's a good coach. And his winning percentage in St. Louis, 597. Jared Bednar's career winning percentage here in Denver, 595. Both have Stanley Cups. But uh, Bednar's team has gone 48-16-6 in its last 70 regular season games. Uh, Craig Brewery, not quite as good in St. Louis and – uh, now is out of work with the Blues. Hockey coaching carousel is wild. Oh, we'll see what is. the Evs do tonight. We'll turn our attention to the Broncos. Is the offense coming around? There are signs that, if not explosive, some more consistency may be available, and you might be able to see it this Saturday. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports.